Today on Between the Lines, the best-selling author of The 48 Laws of Power, Robert Greene. I'm Barry Kibrick. When Robert wrote The 48 Laws of Power, he had no idea it would become a classic and have an effect on some of the most powerful leaders in society. But he was truly shocked when hip-hop artist 50 Cent credited Robert's book for helping him with his own success. In fact, 50 Cent was so moved by Robert's writing, he wanted to collaborate with him. The result is their book, The 50th Law, an insightful look at fear and what we must do to respond to it and set free the power within ourselves. I'm a writer today because I was a reader when I was 11 years old. And it was- You do, need, need, you do not need to prove your state of happiness to anybody. Most of these speeches were as much as a month in preparation. Characters, the heroes in this book are seekers of truth in, in a story that, that involves a lot of corruption. You don't get a chance to really talk about what's real. And that is the first Robert, welcome back to Between the Lines. Always a pleasure to see you, Thank sir. Thank you so much for having me again, Barry. I really appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure. This <laughs> is now, uh, it's not really such a departure. But it's a departure because you're working with 50 Cent. Now, mm-hmm. tell me, how do we pronounce it? 50 Cent or Fitty? Fitty, Fitty. You're working with 50 Cent, the, the, the hip-hop artist. Mm-hmm. And he admired your 48 Laws of Power, wanted right. to collaborate right. with you on this. And this is a book about fear. Correct. And it's not so much, in fact, in, in the book, you use the word fearless quite often. But mm-hmm. the truth is, as, as you state, it's not really about becoming fearless because we can't. We're filled yeah. with fear. Right. It's how we respond to fear that Correct. is important. Yes. You know, it's natural, it's normal for every human being to feel fear, obviously. Um, it's something we're born with. Uh, coming into this world is a fear, fearful experience. And we're afraid from a very early age of being abandoned by our parents, from being unloved, for being alone, for afraid of death itself. So there's not a single person in the world that's not fearless. Napoleon Bonaparte had fear. 50 Cent has fear. Barack Obama has fear. Everybody has fear. The question is, are you avoiding it? Are you denying the fact that you have a lot of fears and that they are inhibiting you and limiting your mobility in life? Or are you being realistic reflecting on yourself, being conscious of these fears, and actively working to move past them in some productive way. Because a child doesn't know how to process its fears and believes that there are all sorts of terrible things behind the shadows. An adult learns slowly that these fears are unrealistic and learns to move past them. To the degree that you conquer your fears, you're becoming more of an adult. But you make some interesting observations that make you you think about this in a different manner because it was one thing when we were in the primitive state and it was the fight or flight syndrome. We right. knew that the cyber-toothed tiger it could eat us if we don't find a stick to fight him with or right. if we don't find some way to run away from him. Right. What's happened in our modern society is a lot of the real instant fear that you respond to is is gone. Correct. And what happens is this pervasive overflowing of anxieties, yes. fears, could eat at you. They're harder almost to fight. It's easier to almost run from a tiger mm-hmm. than it is to deal with your own mind's consciousness if it's cycling around being afraid of so much. 
Well, that's, that's exactly right. I called it um, the fearful attitude. It becomes a mindset and everything that you think and respond to in the world becomes reflected uh, through this fearful mindset. You know, in a strange way, a person like 50 Cent or somebody that comes from a very difficult background, which is sort of the genesis of this book in the first place, in some strange way, they have an advantage in life um, because the difficulties, the harshness, death itself, which is a reality we all have to face, it's, it's right there in front of you. You can't escape it. You, you're confronted with the reality of if you're afraid or you're fearful in life, it's gonna, you're gonna have consequences. But for many of us who grow up in prosperous environments, who work in places where we're not worried about bullet wounds or things like that, it's much less direct. And so we can delude ourselves that death isn't a reality, that, that we are essentially alone in the world, that we have to fend for ourselves. So we're not, it's harder to be as honest with yourself. I, I talk in the book, or we talk in the book, that when you're born into this world, you're essentially an individual that is completely unique. But uh, slowly over time, you give up that one treasure, the one thing that makes you so special and that actually is in a tremendous source of power. The, the greatest people in, in history that I've studied, Napoleon, Bonaparte, the Louis XIV, the Catherine, all of them, they all have find a way to express their individuality somehow through some public forum. And I think we're going through a time where there's, I, I don't think there's ever been more conformity in, in our culture than, than, than we're experiencing now. People are afraid to express what makes them different. Yeah, because they're, because since they're afraid of themselves, they don't want to be wrong. They're so afraid right. of failure to a certain extent right. or of being wrong and not being liked. You can see how that, it's a paralyzing fear. Right, it's, it's uh, something that I call, uh, in my previous book, I call the new prudery. Um, where I think people, these standards of behavior, these authorities that we all listen to on the right or the left that tell us this is what we must think, this is how we must behave. A lot of it is very political uh, in in itself. And people are are really afraid of stepping out of those those norms. I mean, we came from a period in the 1960s where, where we didn't, we were very distrustful of authority and I think we've come almost to the polar opposite. But the problem is, is that people aren't aware of these phenomenons. So it comes back to what we were talking in the beginning. A lot of the fears that I think grip people and and are really inhibiting them and limiting them, you're not even aware that this is what's going on inside of you. You're avoiding it, you're denying it. You're saying, I'm I'm just being a good person. I'm, I'm conforming, I'm being nice, I'm being cooperative, when in fact, you're simply afraid. In fact, you know, you were talking about on the political level, Right now, are, we are so on, on this spectrum of either this or that, mm. and yet when you actually meet people, I've yet to meet someone that can toe the line of the conservative or the liberal. Everyone right. has elements of each one of these things in them, and we're right. again, that's what's being stifled as well. It's no right. longer, no, you can't. If you're this way, you're going to be this, 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 right. this, this. You're going to vote this, 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 this <laughs> way, and we're deceiving ourselves because it's not real. And I know people know it, mm. but how, and that's what this book's about. How right. do we overcome that mm-hmm. and bring it out? Yes, I, the way I look at it um, in a more philosophical way is that um, the mind is kind of a, a, a window to the world, to, the, to reality. And when we're afraid, that, that aperture uh, starts closing up and getting narrower and narrower. 
we, we want to be home more. We want to read the same books, listen to the same television shows. Our minds close up slowly because it's a way of gaining control over, over something that terrifies us. And when we feel confident and strong, that aperture opens up and we want to take in more of the world. We want to listen to other points of view. We're, maybe we're a Democrat, but perhaps something that somebody on the right says makes sense. We, we, our minds expand because we don't feel this tremendous fear inside of us. And so uh, I think a lot of the closing up of the American mind and people getting into these really rigid sort of uh, polarized viewpoints is, comes from a very fearful place. One of the remedies, and actually it's not so much a remedy, I want to be careful about that, but it could lead to a remedy yeah. if you take it to heart, and that's this word fluidity. Mm-hmm. You bring that in because you, you need to move with the flow of events, as you say, and then gently challenge channel them in your direction. Right. That's how well, you called it mental alchemy, or maybe 50 called it mental alchemy. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But you can convert that unexpected event into a positive opportunity if you are of open aperture, if right. you're of open mind, because then you can move fluidly with it. Yes. I mean, we're going through a really strange time in our history right now. Uh, we call it a recession. Uh, whatever we want to call it, but we're really going through what we were talking about earlier, a paradigm shift. The old order, the old way of doing things in business, it's just falling apart. I see it in the book publishing world. The book world is not what it was just 10 years ago. It's just gone into an incredible shift. You can look at it in any form of the entertainment industry. You can look at it in politics, how a politician now must uh, get power and use the internet, etc. It's all changing. And the problem is we're creatures that greatly fear change. We find any kind of change in life to be very threatening. We want things to conform to familiar patterns. And so because of that, um, our leaders and ourselves included, we don't know how to react to all of this weirdness that is going on. We're holding on to the past and in five or 10 years, things are gonna be radically changing. You know, you give us, I want to be careful because it's, it's, it'll sound like self-help, but again, it's not. But you give us little insights. and I, I Nothing wanna... wrong with self-help. Okay. I've, em- I've embraced it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let me give you a little bit of this one here and, and yeah. share it and take us deeper into it. Your task as an individual is to resist the temptation to wish it were all different. Yes. That's what's the first thing when people feel this anxiety, they just go, Gosh, why can't it be different? Why can't it be like the old days? Why can't it be like the new? Why can't it be different? And you say embrace the fact. Instead, accept these circumstances, even embrace them, because the firmer your grasp on reality, the more power you have to alter it. Yes. I mean, I I almost don't know how to explain it in words because it's it's like a philosophy that I feel from very deep inside. A lot of it comes uh, from the Stoics, People like Seneca, they express it with the Latin term amor fati, which means to love the love of fate. If you embrace the world as it is, you have this tremendous power. You're, everything shifts. And the idea is that reality is actually a beautiful thing. Okay, This is the way the world is. There is pain. There is death. There is suffering. We go through all sorts of tribulations in our lives. There's nothing wrong with it. it it's, it's what life is. And if you suddenly shift your whole mentality in there, then anything bad that happens to you, it doesn't affect you in the same way. 
you have a setback, you lose your job. Okay, that happens to everyone. I'm not going to lose time whining and worrying. There's a challenge here. I have to shift how I think about myself and the people around me. And perhaps now I have to learn a new skill. I have to go in this direction. If you're able to have this mindset, and anybody can have it, the whole game just opens up to you. You know, you and 50 echo something that my mother always used to say Uh when I saw it in print. I can't go wrong there. (laughs) When I saw it in print, and that was, she said, everything happens for a reason. And that how we interpret what that reason is, that's where this fear factor comes in. If we encapsulate ourselves and shut ourselves off, then that reason is going to be a negative result. But if we realize it's a reason, no matter how painful, and we open it, we see where it can take us and Mm -hmm. lead us, that's that positive spin that now, and spin's even a funny word because it's really spinning. I mean, it's in reality, it's, it changes when the attitudinal adjustment is made. Yeah, I mean, it, it can seem to some people as being kind of Pollyannish, but it's not at all because really what's going on is when something bad happens to you, you're tending to look at the dark side. You tend to accentuate the bad things that are happening. So you're actually going in the other direction. You're making more out of, uh, you're making a mountain out of a molehill or whatever it is. And so it's not necessarily a matter of seeing everything as positive. That, that can go too far as well. It's more like being realistic. There are going to be hardships and obstacles and pain in life, and you simply accept it and you move on from that. And I talk in the book about Frederick Douglass, one of my favorite characters in history, one of the greatest American figures of all time. And this was a man who had this attitude that we're talking about, and he came from the worst possible circumstances you can imagine, born into slavery. And with this kind of mindset, he was able to eventually escape slavery and become a great abolitionist, a great writer. And I say, if someone like that can do it, then then what are we so afraid of? You know, you also mentioned before the Stoics and you mentioned Socrates. You can't Mm -hmm. have one without the other, so to speak. But the point is, the, the reason why you brought it out were these words. Imagine the world is still full of mystery. And that goes back to Socrates' uh, unknowing mind, so to speak. Right. And there is this, this, it's almost required for us to believe that and experience that mystery, that wonder, and as you even put in the book, the awe. Yes, I, I, I'm thinking about it lately in terms of a kind of a smugness factor. and. The problem I think of a lot of people, particularly as we get older, we get kind of smug. We think we've figured out life. We've got these ideas, our experiences, we've learned it all, and now we just tell our children this is what has to be. We write, we blog, etc. And it's it's kind of soul-killing because you never really figure things out. You're always learning from life. Experiences are teaching you. And if you begin everything from a kind of childlike position, like you don't know what is happening in the world, but you're curious to find out, and you're not afraid to find out something that challenges your preconceptions, it's, it's a beautiful thing, you know, because every moment is different, every circumstance is different, and if you believe that your idea that you had when you were 22 years old, that's the truth, then you're deluding yourself. You're not a realist anymore. Now, you know, you tell us and want us at the same time your increasing powers of observation mm-hmm. must occasionally be aimed 
at yourself. Right. And here's the best part, though. The goal here, though, is not to beat up on yourself. Right. So many times when we turn that eye introspectively and we see the negative, mm-hmm. we can't help but oh, beat ourselves up for why right. are we so yada, yada, yada. And right. that is, again, that defeats the entire purpose of that gentle eye, the distancing yourself right. from it and just giving it a look, being open. Yeah, I, I compare it to looking in a mirror. Um, when you look in a mirror, what's being reflected back to you is the objective reality. It shows that your hair isn't straight, that you've got funny things on your face or something in your teeth. It's not lying, the mirror is showing it to you. And you need a kind of a, a mirror for to look at yourself that just shows the truth, not, the, not overly emphasizing the negative or the positive. And you know, I think a lot of people um, do beat up on themselves. And what happens is, you know, I think we've all had this from when we were an adolescent. We're essentially afraid of trying something and failing, right? We have an idea that we want to accomplish, something great, a project, an idea. And we don't end up doing it because we're afraid that we might not succeed and that it will require a lot of effort and then we'll be criticized for it. And so we do nothing. And so, so many times we're undervaluing ourselves. We're not actually taking action that would, that's creative, that's bold, where we can learn something from life. We're afraid of actually experiencing something and we're undervaluing the powers that we all have inside, each, uh, inside of ourselves. You know, you mentioned that we were afraid of that effort and you in this book bring it out over and over again, and I think that's important, in Mm -hmm. fact, that when we, and again, not so much even the media, just our whole system of how we operate, Mm -hmm. we see people's success, and we think that somehow that success just happened. Either it's the luck of the drawer, or they were in the right place at the right time. We never focus on the effort. You know, we never focus on the 40 years in Egypt that Moses wandered (laughs) and didn't find a darn thing, you know. We focus on the fact that he liberated everyone. We forget that so much of greatness, you in the book use Newton, uh, Mm -hmm. how much of it is spent alone in drudgery, spending hours upon hours introspectively researching, doing things. We are so unaware of that, that when we realize we may have to do it, it seems like there must be something wrong with us. Well, it's a really, really important point um, because I think a lot of young people are having this problem right now. To get anywhere in life, you have to work extremely hard and you have to be disciplined. If you wanted to be a great piano player, there's no drug you can take, there's no self-help book, there's no guru. You gotta spend five years, 10 years learning it until it becomes something that's second nature. There are no shortcuts. But if you learn that from an early age, like 10 years old or whatever, you see after a few years that an incredible pleasure happens where now you have mastery of this piano and you can play things you could never play before. You Suddenly the whole thing opens up, this whole new universe. And that's the paradigm for everything meaningful in life. If you learn something well, if you learn a craft and you master it, it can bring you a far greater pleasure than any kind of drug or any kind of going out to a party or socializing. But you have to be patient and you have to not be afraid of boredom and you have to not be afraid of the effort. And I talk in the book, here's 50 Cent, this leading this glamorous life of a rap star. 
He's not somebody that parties, never drinks, never does drugs. He works tw almost 24 hours a day. He has an intense work ethic. I want people to know about this because anybody who has success in life, they, they work really hard and you need to, that needs to be your role model. That needs to be the paradigm for you. Yeah, it's not the success, it's the hard work that needs to be the paradigm. Yes. That's that thing, and in fact, persistence is the key word here because yeah. mm -hmm. we sometimes have such grandiose plans right. that we forget that to achieve it requires the mastery of lots of little steps in right. between. Right, I, I mean, I compare it to learning a language when you're a child. You can't start out, you're, when you're a child, you have this hunger and you want to talk like your parents and you want everything, but you have to learn slowly, word by word. It's very tortuous and then suddenly you have this, this fluency and that's sort of the pattern for life. But yeah, you know, strangely enough, um, it can be pleasurable, the drudgery and the effort. And if you ever reach that point, then there's nothing stopping you. And what I mean by that is it, so many times people choose uh, directions and careers that they're not suited for. And so when they have to learn it, it's too painful and then they give up. But if you choose something that you love, that you're interested in, like I like writing books, like you write, love talking to people who write books and all of that. If you choose something that you love, then even those kind of dull moments where I'm sitting there taking notes, there actually is a weird pleasure uh, from that. So you have to take some kind of pleasure even in the, the effort and the drudgery. And the other thing that you alert us to here too is we're such control freaks nowadays. And, right. and, and you tell us one of the first things we have to do is the harder we try to control the things around us, the more likely we'll lose control, which also butts up against that fluidity. Mm. So it's not, it's, it's discipline to mm. do the work, but not necessarily to control the results or the outcome right. and, and be surprised by them. Go back into that childlike manner. Right. Learn from that mystery, from that awe. You know, I, I, I talk about it in this book, but also in my war book about someone like Napoleon Bonaparte, who was the, the greatest strategist who ever lived. I call him the Mozart of warfare. And Napoleon essentially revolutionized uh, strategy by letting go of his army. And uh, generals always would like to control their whole army and move it in one block because then they, had, they could see where everybody was. Napoleon let go of this and he he divided his army into 10 different divisions and just threw them out at the enemy in different directions, creating kind of this chaotic form of warfare. And what that essentially means was he was not afraid of losing immediate control of that army, um, which was something that most generals would never do because he knew in the long run it gave him this much greater fluidity to attack any enemy or any problem. To me, that's kind of the... The, the symbol of, of all that, the archetype of, of learning to let go, because if you let go of needing to control things immediately, you end up kind of getting a larger control over, the, over life. Uh, you also add to it, you say, what matters are the connections between those things, not what separates them. That's the other thing that even Napoleon was aware of, mm -hmm. is you can let go if you are aware of what really matters, right. and that it's the things that are between the things and not what separates them, that they could be the things that join them right. together. Yeah, it was, it was very instructive to be around uh, 50 in that sense, because he comes, as we say, he comes from a terrible environment in which there was naturally a lot of chaos. 
uh, with hustling, with police, with uh, drugs and whole gang thing. There was no order. And so he's somebody who's very comfortable in a chaotic moment. And I witnessed him dealing with a crisis with his business. And I could see right away, this was somebody that's different from a Bill Gates or a normal CEO, because he has a $200 million empire. This crisis suddenly broke out and he was completely calm while everybody else was panicking around him. And he came up with this very strange solution to this problem that I don't think anybody would have ever thought of. One that I think worked, but some people really questioned at the time. I talk about it in the book. But what was important to me was the fact that in this moment of kind of chaos, where what he had wanted and expected was destroyed, he didn't get upset, he didn't react, he didn't get conservative. He just sort of opened up and said, hmm, let's experiment, let's try this. And, and it worked. And that's kind of what we're, we're talking about here, when you sort of loosen up a little bit and you don't react to things and you kind of move with them, then you have a power to maybe direct them in a different in a different way. Well, you know, I could talk to you forever, Robert, oh, but well, our time, <laughs> unbelievable how it goes. I'm gonna end yeah. though with these words. Mm-hmm. You may never get to the actual root of your fear, but the process of digging will bring you closer. Thank you, Robert, for helping us dig just a little <laughs> bit deeper. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thank you guys for joining us. Now, before Robert leaves, I would like to leave you with these words from the 50th law. Understand, you are one of a kind, as Robert said earlier. Your character traits are a kind of chemical mix that will never be repeated in history. There are ideas unique to you, a specific rhythm and perspective that are your strengths, not your weaknesses. I'm Barry Kibrick. You are one of a kind. Look closely between your fears and anxiety. Find your own rhythm, and it will give you strength. Thank you, Robert, so Thank much. You, My, pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more, please subscribe or become a patron of the show at barrykibrick.com to keep it going every week. Thank you.